One of the best ways to keep up with church life is through the City Life app. The City Life app enables you to listen to messages from Sunday, explore the Bible while listening to messages, stay up to date with church life through our Connect section, and much more. Download the City Life app in the App Store or Google Play Store today. Welcome to the City Life Podcast. We're all about making Jesus known. We pray these messages will help equip you to become a follower of Jesus who is empowered to influence and shape culture. Enjoy the message. All right. I want you to get your Bibles or your Bible apps out, get some notes to jot some things down, because I think you believe God's going to be speaking to you today. Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter number 19. Luke 19, verse 28. Um, so Luke 19, 28, we're going to read for it and from it in just a minute. Hold your place right there. You know, the, the week preceding Easter for me, it, it's huge for us. Uh, it's always been huge for me. Uh, today is traditionally what's been called Palm Sunday. And the reason we call it that, it like, you know, it's not like the palm of your hand, but like a palm tree. That's why we have the little palm branches in the graphic there, not people holding up their hands. So, so but Palm Sunday is, is the day where uh, we, we recognize when the Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and this little, they, they, they formed this little impromptu parade route and people cut palm branches down and, and, uh, and it was just a big part of the whole celebration of Jesus coming into the city. And when I was a kid, I loved Palm Sunday. I did. I did. My dad, uh, pastor of the church, you know, he, and, you know, I know there are a few pastor's kids in here too. I'm, you know, I'm sorry for you. Pray for you. And just keep praying for me because we're, we're all a little messed up. But, but I remember, I remember, you know, dad, dad would, would have these palm branches, little palm leaf things each year. And it's kind of like you'd, you'd hand out this foliage to people when they're coming into church. Yeah, I always wonder like what lost people thought, like people who didn't know anything about church, like, okay, like I get a leaf. Ooh, yeah, I, I don't know. But, but I thought it was really cool. But, but we would do that each year, and everybody would get them. And then, and then at a certain point during the, during, the, uh, during the singing part, we would all take our little palm branches, and we would wave them, and everybody would go, woo And it was a little corny, felt a little awkward doing it and, and everything. But, but we did it, and, and I, I, remember, I still have the memory of those things in my mind. I remember some of the people I went to church with, so I could see them with their palm leaves in their hands. And I loved it. And, and uh, you know, the truth is, it was kind of cheesy kind of corny, uh, but I loved it, and, it, but, but for some strange reason, I guess it's, I, I just felt like I was a part of, of participating in this ancient celebration of Jesus, and almost like reenacting it, so we're handing out palm branches right now to all of you to do that, no, I'm just kidding, we're not, we're not doing that, we're not. but I loved Palm Sunday, I loved it, and I still do. You know, when my dad pastored down in Harlingen, Texas, down the Rio Grande Valley, it was very cool because, yeah, you remember Harlingen, yes, yes, you were in my dad's church. Oh, my word, yes, you were there. So, you know, in fact, I, do you realize I used to have to mow all that church property? There's like five acres or something, all the property. I had to mow it myself. It was hard work. It was in the hot South Texas sun. Good night. Well, I was, uh, those are Jana's parents, and <laughs> but they went to the church that my dad pastored after my dad left. But but it was kind of cool. But I we we had palm trees there at the church, and so we would. One of the things that I would do is is I would have to go out and cut some of the palm branches off, and we would give them to people. And that's when I learned that the palm branches they didn't come necessarily the way that we handed them out in church when I was a kid. They like have thorns on them, and so then I'd have to cut the thorns off. And I was like, yeah, you know, get out there and cut the thorns off and do it. We're gonna have a good day at church. And you have these big palm things. <laughs> 
it was cool. It, it, it was it was fun. You guys just wish you could have done it, right? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. I mean, we had our own Palm Sunday farm right there on campus. Quite awesome. But you see, the very first Palm Sunday was when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and uh, what happened is he was actually being hailed as the king. Now, that did not set well with religious leaders at all, because they didn't like him, first of all, because Jesus was drawing larger crowds to his events than theirs. You know, they would hold a, an event, and five people would show up, and Jesus would like, show up, and, and, you know, Jesus would feed them and do miracles and all that kind of stuff, and he'd have 10,000 show up. They didn't like that. So, so they, they, they saw this as an opportunity to use this as some leverage against Jesus to actually get him executed. See, if he was a king, then that would mean he's a threat to Caesar. And so they believed that he would need to be killed, therefore. So I want us to take a look at the story and how it actually plays out in the Bible. Uh, and we're going to look in Luke 19 in a second. But, but I want to give the setting to you real quick. Yeah, you really have to go back in time, if you can do that in your mind, 2,000 years ago. Um, you're in this ancient Middle Eastern dusty city called Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is the spiritual as well as the political center of the nation of Israel and really that entire Middle Eastern area. Now, Israel was occupied by the Romans at that time, uh, who were also headquartered there in Jerusalem, and the Romans were ruthless and they were cruel. Uh, you see, whenever they sensed unrest, the Roman soldiers, they, they would literally go into the streets with their swords, and, and they would just murder anyone and <laughs> that was in their way. They would just, just kill children and women and men, whoever. In, in fact, the Romans were so cruel, their ultimate act of cruelty was how they punished uh, people for breaking the law. Uh, they would make a mockery of them. And, and, and an example to other criminals by causing that person to suffer through this agonizing form of torture and eventual death called crucifixion. What they would do is they would strip the man naked and, and just and, and there, first of all, is the humiliation. And then they would attach him to a wooden pole up high in front of everyone. The wooden pole wasn't up high, but it put it in a higher place so everyone in the community could see him. And, and they would put him on there with his arms stretched out. And, and he would literally hang there until he died from dehydration uh, or asphyxiation, which, which caused his death. And sometimes it would hang him. It would take days for the person to die. Uh, and, and they would leave the body then hanging there uh, for quite a while afterwards just to continue to mock uh, the, the person. Uh, the, the Romans would leave it up there as the body became uh, bloated and, and, and animals and birds and insects began feasting on the rotting corpse. People saw that this was daily life, my friend. Uh, it was not PG-13. The children saw it. So, so, so nobody wanted to defy the Roman government. Uh, 
they were the occupying force there in Jerusalem at that time. So that was the atmosphere there in the city. There was also now this, this, this miracle worker, um, a, a powerful teacher. He, he was a rabbi who had this ability to communicate God's word and feed the multitudes, and, and, and he had this huge following. And so he shows up right there in Jerusalem. And, and uh, Jesus' entry into this... Um, culture creating center there in the Middle East, this hub of political power, it began stirring things up and it began stirring things up very quickly. Because when you go to the place where culture is being created, all of a sudden sparks can fly. And that's really what we all deal with as in the heart of the city as well. And, and the, really it even ended with the execution of this man five days later. Uh, Jesus knew what he was walking into. He knew it was going to happen. And so we're going to take a look in Luke chapter 19, verse 28, and see what happened on that original Palm Sunday. It starts off like this. It says, Jesus had said this, and he, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. It says, as he approached Bethphage and Bethany, which are basically called those little suburbs, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent out two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ridden. Then just untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Then just say, the Lord needs it. Uh, so those who were sent ahead, they went and they found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought it to Jesus. I've always thought that was interesting. How in the world did they know that? You know, the Lord needs it. Oh, sure, I'll give you my donkey. It, it, this doesn't sound right. Maybe God had given them a vision. I don't know. That's part of the mystery. Uh, you know, there's, there are certain things like when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, okay, tell me about the whole cult thing because I, you know, I really don't, really don't understand how that works. We we have about 80 of those conversations set up already. I have an appointment on the books. I don't. That's a, that's a joke. All right, all right. But they, they, it says they brought it to Jesus. I still would like to, though. But they brought it to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on the colt, and they put Jesus on it. As he went along, get the picture now, people began to spread their cloaks on the road. And they also did it with palm branches and that as well. It says, when he came near to the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples, now sometimes when we think of disciples, we think like 12 disciples. No, that, those were the 12, like the, uh, the highest appointed disciples. There were, there were multitudes of people that followed him, a massive number of people. So it says, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. They said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Well, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, hey, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And he approached Jerusalem, saw the city, he wept over it. So you see, his, his, this is the beginning of what we call Passion Week. He's feeling this passion for the city. He's knowing that, that, uh, that they're going to reject him and that, and that the city will eventually be destroyed. He's feeling, seeing these things because he knows what's about to happen. Quite an amazing day. I like this, this of, of all four Gospels, I like this part of it because we get to see the, the, the attitude of Jesus we also can pick up on the attitude of the followers and the people of the community. We can also pick up on the attitude of, of the religious leaders, and you kind of see these three different worlds that are happening right there. 
you know, this, this, uh, this episode, this thing that happened here, it's written in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you were to read all four of them, uh, you will see really the, the story all come together because you have different vantage points from the story. But it says that people put in their cloaks on the road. Uh, they were putting um, the, the palm branches on the road. Basically, in, in that culture, they were like creating a red carpet, so to speak, for the donkey and Jesus to ride on. See? And nobody gets that except a king. They were shouting, some of the lines they were shouting was, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They said, Hosanna in the highest heaven. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. They said, peace in heaven, glory in the highest. And they also said, blessed is the king of Israel. These were the one-liners that people were saying as, as they were coming through. They were chanting these things. They didn't even know it, but they were actually fulfilling an ancient prophecy from Zechariah, which says, your king is coming on a donkey, and he's coming. And, and, and they didn't even know they were, that was the fulfillment of that. And so you can imagine the stir that was in the city. Yet the religious leaders, they were upset about this grand entrance, in fact, they began saying amongst themselves, you know, the whole world has begun to follow him. You know, this is, they're going after him. Everybody's going after him. You know, we're losing our following. And so what they did is they felt the need to exercise their influence politically to get rid of him. Um, so they could see that if they let him hang around, there was no, not going to be any more status quo. They liked status quo. Uh, <laughs> but what they didn't understand was that Jesus was not coming into Jerusalem to establish some kind of a literal, physical, political kingdom by driving out the Romans and then setting himself up to be the new religious high priest. No, Jesus was actually coming to Jerusalem to prepare for his crucifixion, which was essential so that he could establish his kingdom in our hearts. Now, you see... For the previous two and a half years, the primary topic of Jesus' teaching was about the kingdom of God. He would say the kingdom of God is like this and like this and like this. So he's always talking about it. And so, so we, we can see, if you look back at all the teachings, Jesus, in fact, was not coming to establish a physical kingdom. He was, coming to, he was actually coming to set himself up as the king of kings and the lord of lords of our lives and our bodies and our spirits. He was setting himself to be the king of our lives for eternity. And, and this... This was all like, like hurled into motion that Sunday when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem. That's what makes it significant. Five days after this, Jesus is on the cross. And at that moment, Jesus did establish his kingdom in us. What's interesting is it was not like the oppressive uh, kingdom of the Romans, which was about torture and control and oppression. You've got to do it my way or, 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 or you're going to pay the price. You see, the kingdom of God uh, it w was not dependent upon a physical location. His perfect kingdom is in us 
while we live in the imperfect kingdoms of the nations of this earth. It's, here's what's interesting, guys. Here's what's interesting. My friends right over here from India, they have God's kingdom in them. They're praying. We want us to pray for the expansion of God's kingdom over there. What is amazing is wherever you go, you carry the kingdom with you. I get together with these men. I feel like I've known them all our lives. We speak, we speak the same language. And, you know, the, sure, we actually can speak English together, but it's this, this spiritual activity. You just know they're, one, they're, they're with me. We're together. I've never met them before. That's the beauty of the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter where you go. It's just it's that God's kingdom is with you, and you meet other kingdom people, and bam, it happens. That's pretty cool. We're in every nation on this earth. <laughs> and Jesus puts his kingdom in us, and then he sends us into the world. So Jesus is our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords. In fact, in fact, even on the cross, the inscription they put up there literally said King of Kings. That, that's what they put above him on the cross. They wrote it in three different languages. And, and, and uh, in, in other words, that made the execution legal so people could see the crime that he had committed, supposedly. And, and, uh, and the, the way they were saying it is, well, nobody can claim to be Caesar, uh, to be king except Caesar himself. <laughs> so they, they kill him. But you know what? Something's pretty interesting. <laughs> Where is Caesar's kingdom today? It's long gone. I mean, today we call our dogs Caesar. I love it. Rome, oh, it's, it's a relic of the ancient world. Nice place to visit. Oh, nice Colosseum. Okay, that's nice. You kill people there. Oh, how many people killed there? Oh, oh, millions. Okay, that's nice. But since then, many kingdoms have risen and they have fallen around the world. But one kingdom remains that was established at the cross and continues to grow and has always continued to grow. It is not based upon land or territory yet. And it is the kingdom of God. It's established in the hearts and the lives of his followers. Now, I'm a very patriotic person. I love my country. But we live in this nation, but we're not of this nation. We live in this world, but we're not of this world. And eventually, some people always, I, I get this a lot, you know, what is your political position? I've, I've said this, and go to my Facebook, I've had it on there for like, since Facebook existed. Uh, here's my political position. Jesus Christ on the throne in Jerusalem, ruling and reigning over this entire earth. That's it right there. Because eventually, Jesus will set up his political kingdom with Jesus on this throne, and it will be established then when he returns to this earth, and that's going to happen just as certain as his first arrival happened 2,000 years ago. I <laughs> love it. You know, prior to Jesus... Um, Alexander the Great, he established himself as king of kings. Caesar established himself as king of kings. What does it mean? King of kings means this. This is what it had meant in that culture. It means ruler over those who rule. Okay, now think about it. Ruler over those who rule. What, what, what do you rule? Okay? And if you have a ruler over whatever you rule, then that means that person trumps you. You see? That's pretty awesome. So when Jesus is called the king of kings, what that means is in the end, at the very end of time, 
all rulers, uh, they will either be conquered or they will be abolished because he alone will reign supreme as the king of the earth. So there will be no, there will be no power, there will be no king, there will be no president, there will be no official who can oppose Jesus and win in the future. And his universal kingdom will most certainly be established, but we're not there yet. Until then, his kingdom is in us. And we are called to expand it by sharing the gospel with one after another, after another, after another, after another. But what happens in us is when, when Jesus comes into our lives, he puts his kingdom in us, and Jesus now becomes our highest authority. And I like, like I shared last week, it's not putting on handcuffs, it's actually being set free. Yeah, and, and, and some of you, there are certain areas in your life where you're not experiencing freedom, and I'm just telling you, maybe you need to quit pushing Jesus off the throne in your lives and say, well, I can handle this better than God. Because God has so much good to bring to you. I'm going to tell you, here's, here's where it gets really cool. Take a look at this. Is Jesus has authority over even your body. See, you are his. You were bought with a price. And when he bought you with that price, he's like, and now I'm, I, I'm in charge. And then what he does is he does something incredible. Then he says, and now you're back in charge managing for me. <laughs> Isn't that great? He says, you now manage your body. You steward it. You were bought with a price. You are not your own. You belong to God. That's amazing. Now, there are incredible implications about that when you think about the power of Jesus and what he really, really is. <laughs> Jesus is the authority over your business. If you have God's spirit in you, you know when you're on the job, then you have actually brought the kingdom of Jesus right there, right there. You know, some of you are involved in sales, and you go around, and you talk to people. Every time you go around talking to people, all of a sudden the kingdom of God has arrived. Boom! You know, <laughs> like, Whoa! If you're a business owner and you've not dedicated your business to Jesus, do it before you leave this place today. Yeah, you, you'll still run your business, of course, but God's going to be your new CEO. How awesome is that? You can't go wrong. You know, Jesus also has authority over your city and your nation. Now, I know it's not set up yet for the political worldwide kingdom, but how does that work today? Well, he has authority through us. See, when we involve ourselves in our city and in our nation, then he, that authority is established. And, and because why? We carry God's kingdom in us. And, and although one day he will be the ruler over the physical kingdom of the earth. Another thing is Jesus has authority over your healing. I love this because if you are sick, you can be healed in the name of Jesus. When you receive communion in just a few minutes, remember that his body was beaten for your healing. You don't have to stay sick. God can heal you just like he did this morning. There's a testimony of healing somebody who was healed miraculously this morning of deafness in the early service. That's the truth. And I'll stand before God on that one. Anyone believe that? Anyone doubt that? If you doubt it, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I can't help you with that one. Good luck. So... Because if you doubt, the Bible says if you doubt, you don't get anything. So I, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go that route. You see, here's another one. Jesus has authority over your relationships. Oh, listen up, friends. 
Some of you need to quit trying to force things to make everything work and let Jesus be on the throne of that relational situation. Put Jesus on the throne there and watch what will happen because he's your king of kings. He's your highest authority. You don't have to prove yourself because God is your authority. You don't like have to stand out there on your own because God is your authority. You don't, have to do, you don't have to be pressuring and mean to other people, nor do you have to react to every little thing somebody says to you and about you. Also, Jesus has authority to release life to you. And I'm talking life to the full. There should be no reason that you should stay or remain in that dark place in your life. There's no reason for you to be in this emotional death spiral. I'm telling you guys, that is not God's plans for you. Jesus said this, the thief comes. The thief comes. Look at it, John 10, 10, put it up there. The thief comes. That means Satan is, you know, he, he's going to try to mess with you. He'll do it through circumstances. He'll do it through people. He'll do it however he wants because he don't like you. He'll, he'll do it through people you love. But, but the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And wherever theft, death, and destruction are at work, then you know Satan's at work. But Jesus says, I have come. I have come as your king so that you can have life and have it to the full. Who doesn't want that? That's what I want. That's what I love. See, as your king, Jesus wants to heal relationships. He wants to restore trust in your spirit. He wants to destroy the spirit of rejection that controls you. As your king, Jesus wants you to be blessed financially so that you can have enough. Jesus wants to heal you of your past offenses that friends and work associates and family and church and school people have, have done to you. He wants to heal you because he's your king. As your king, Jesus wants you to have family so that your spirit of isolation in your life will be defeated and will be crushed. He wants to give you family like you've never known. He wants to give you vision and hope for your future. As, as, as your king, Jesus wants to remove your guilt and your shame and your condemnation. Jesus wants you to, 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 to he wants to work through you and to crush that self-doubt. Jesus wants to restore your confidence. That's what happens when the kingdom of God, King Jesus, sits on the throne of our life. Do you get it? So here's what I'm saying. Come on, guys. Give him the authority. Give it to him. God, I just give you authority over my life. Many people, they're, they're saved and they're going to heaven, but, but Jesus isn't the authority over your life, and you're, you're, you're so frustrated. Today's the day you can turn the corner. See, Jesus paid for all this in your life on the cross already. When he rode into Jerusalem, it wasn't like on some majestic steed. No, that's going to happen later when Jesus comes down and establishes his physical, literal kingdom on the earth. Yeah, he came on a donkey. He came in humility. He came with scorn, and he chose the cross. That's serious. See, he chose all of that so that he could take all the stuff that you've been dealing with upon himself. You see? He took all of that. And as I, after that was over, then the Bible says that God saw what he did, and God then exalted him to a high place, saying, Now you, Jesus, have all authority. And Paul tells us this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. Look at it on the screens. It says, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, a slave, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Nobody forced him. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, 
That's your transition word. Therefore, because of what Jesus has already done for you, you don't need to be carrying this stuff, guys. You don't need to be carrying it. You need to lift up your head. You can be free. You can be out of that dark place. You can be out of that despair. Jesus has done this. Therefore, God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name, which is above every single name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's pretty stinking cool. That just means that when he's authority in your life, that he can squash all that other stuff because he's not like the Romans who are going to beat you up and put you down and try and try to try to make you feel miserable and put you on display so that everybody else can mock you. That's not God. That's not Jesus. Today we're taking Holy Communion, something that I love. And there's significance in it. Because as we take communion, what happens here is we are, we're going to take these elements and as we partake of them, which is the body of Christ, the blood of Jesus, it's as if we're just taking everything that he is into us. It's, it's like this physical object lesson, so to speak, where we can't help but remember what he did for us and know that everything's going to be all right. That his deliverance, his lordship, his kingship is over our lives. And we don't have to cave to all this stuff, this darkness that's happening. City Life, we, we practice open communion, which means you don't have to be a part of our church to partake of communion. I do want you to be a part of the family of God, though, because that's how you actually receive the power that's associated with it. It is a powerful act. It's not just a nice little religious duty. It's a powerful act that I believe really engages us with the power of God. In just a moment, they're going to service these communion elements. The body of Christ represented by a matzo cracker and the blood of Jesus represented by grape juice. And I want you to take those and hold on to them until everyone has been served. But before we do that, I just want to make sure that we're ready. We're ready. We're ready for it. So I'd like there to be no movement at this time, and I'd like for you to close your eyes and focus internally for just a moment. And if... if if Jesus isn't sitting on the throne right now for whatever reason, if he's not on the throne of your life, then it's time that you put him there. And I want you to do so by praying a prayer with me. But I want to connect my faith with yours in doing so. So will you do this for me? Would you, if you're here this morning and, and you're, you want to surrender your life completely to Jesus, it could be that you've even drifted from your relationship with God, but you want to know the Jesus that I talk about, that we talk about in this church let me give you an opportunity to respond by lifting your hand, acting in faith. Know this, Jesus loves you more than you can imagine. He died for you. He went through all that so you can have life and you can have kingship and you can be free and everything can change today. So if you want to be included in this closing prayer, at the count of three, lift your hands. I will see your hands so I can connect my faith with yours. Thank you. One, two, three. Who else? Who else? Who else? Thank you. Who else? You can put your hands down. Anyone else? That's me, Pastor. I want to pray that prayer with you today. I want to pray that prayer with you today. Good. Here's what I'm going to ask that we do. Um, if you raise your hand, my faith is connected with you. I, I can see you in my mind. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to pray these words. In fact, I want everyone in this room, the whole congregation of believers, to pray this with me. Pray this. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. I believe you're the Son of God. Please forgive my sins. It's time for me to live. So I give up my past.
and I embrace the future that you have for me. Thank you for being my king. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers are now distributing the communion elements. While they're, commun while they're distributing these elements, I, and you're taking them and holding them uh, so we can all partake together, I want you to notice the scripture, have it on the, the screens, 1 Corinthians 11, 23. It tells us what happened that night, and this would have been on Thursday of Easter week. So it'll be like this Thursday. Um, it says that Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, whenever you do it, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Now, here's the cool thing. This is something that we are under a charge from God to do until Jesus comes to set up the physical kingdom. What this does, this reminds us that the spiritual kingdom of Jesus is in us. You see? The spiritual kingdom is in us. He paid for it with his blood and with his body, so you don't have to live with the guilt and the shame and the condemnation. And you don't have to. So you can have freedom. So you can be free from sin. This is the beauty of what God's done for us right now. All right. It says... And we're supposed to do this uh, until he comes. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed down to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, and we do this. You know what? Jesus was crucified, and he finally died on what we call Good Friday, Friday of this week. And what happened at the moment he exhaled his final breath, the Bible says that darkness went over the whole land for about three hours. Darkness. Everything was like pitch black. Now, I've always thought about that. I thought, that's strange. Why did the darkness happen? And, and I've heard people say, oh, it was such a dark time. Jesus died. But th th somehow it just didn't resonate with me because I thought, isn't it good because of what he accomplished? And, and then I stumbled across something this week, and, I, and I, I put it together. Do you know that in Jewish tradition that a new day begins the moment darkness arrives? You know, as soon, and I know this because of my Jewish friends, <laughs> because they, you know, they have their, their things. The new day begins. When that sun goes down, when it's dark, bam, it's a new day. It's a new day. You see... It happened that day that it became dark over the whole land, that a new day had been established when Jesus gave his life for you and me. And keep in mind that your personal hour of darkness that some of you have been going through and some of you are in right now is just a sign that your new day has just begun. It's a new day for you. Your darkness is a sign that the new day has arrived, just like it was a sign for the entire world, a new day has arrived. Hey, so don't give up. It might be dark, but your best is yet to come. You no longer have to do everything by yourself. 
You don't have to be in control of everything and every relationship and all. No, Jesus can. He is your King of Kings now. At the cross, he opened up the door to the darkest night that was ushered in at that moment, which then launched the brightest day this earth has known since creation, and we're in it right now today. So your darkness, is, it's really not what it seems because darkness is the beginning of something new. The darkness of the cross means that Jesus Christ has now become the King of kings and the Lord of lords for our lives and for this world. Let it grow. Let it continue. Let it happen in you. Jesus, I thank you for your body that was broken for me, the sinner. You gave this body for me so that I could be healed, so that I could be whole, that I could be free. And today, Jesus, I take this in remembrance of you, knowing, God, that through this, I have salvation. I have healing in my body. I have healing in my mind and my emotions and in my spirit. Thank you for your healing power in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the bread. Second, will you please pray over the cup with me? God, we thank you for this cup, the new covenant. Your blood. Thank you for shedding it for us on the cross, this blood that washed our sin away, this blood that drives out all the weight, this blood that drives away our shame, this blood that drives away the condemnation that we put on ourselves or that other people put on us. We can lift our heads high in life, in every area of life because of this blood right here, and we choose to do so. Thank you for your blood, King Jesus. Let's partake of the blood of Jesus. Run to Jesus, guys. Run to the cross. Run to Jesus. Run to the cross and let Jesus have authority. I'll say it again. Run to Jesus. Run to the cross. Let Jesus have authority. Where does he not have authority? He doesn't have authority wherever there's an area that's just, that's just pulling you down. You let him have that authority right now. Jesus, put him on the throne. Are you with me, church? Are you with me? Do you want that for your lives? Because I want that for you. That's my passion for you in Jesus' name. That's my passion not only for you, but the people of the city, the people of India, the people around the world. May God's kingdom expand in us and through us in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message from City Life Church. You can keep in touch with what is coming this season through social media and our City Life app. And Sunday, our favorite day of the week is on its way. We hope to see you at City Life.